Which means we, I, I'm opening the episode in a cold manner, which I have yet to work out how exactly to do smoothly. Um, okay, cool. Leo, Leo is in the background, everyone. Hello, everyone. Evening all. It's Rail Natter. Um, Leo is in the green room. Actually, he's not. He's, he's waiting in the wings for me to bring us in because tonight, uh, it's episode 186, putting geofencing to good use to improve track safety. Uh, we have uh, the founder of Tended, Leo Scott Smith, uh, joining us tonight, which is very exciting, um, to talk about uh, a very useful application of uh, geofencing technology to improve safety. It's, 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 it's good stuff. We are... Um, Safety is uh, still a problem on our railways. We had a really uncomfortable spate of uh, track worker fatalities uh, in the last, uh, the last sort of over the last five years. Uh, we had a bit of a surge, having had having done quite a good job of not killing any track workers. We we had a, a surge of them, um, and it spurred a load of safety initiatives, um, and opened the door to some uh, some interesting innovations, which I we will talk more about shortly, um, because Leo and I are going to go through the whole story. Um, we're gonna, this is short, cold open because I always make it long, far too long. Everyone, welcome to tonight's Rail Natter. And as the InterCity 225 fades away... The first thing I need to do, well, actually, it's the news first, uh, because uh, rather um, excitingly, this this is hot off the press because it it, it happened uh, early, well, at the end of last week. Uh, tended wins highly commended. At, uh, actually, uh, wins. Uh, you have uh, been highly commended uh, at the Railway Oscars, the National Rail Awards. Here's Steph McGovern uh, introducing uh, you guys uh, with uh, with a load of important people at the front. In fact, you can see. If I get my uh, Wacom out, wait a minute, I can, I can point out. Leo, you'll like this. So here is here's the rail minister. Uh, here is Lord Hendy. And uh, somewhere behind here is also Haynes. Uh, in fact, I think this is uh, Andrew Haynes's shoulder. Um, all, all looking excitedly um, at... Uh, actually, no, I think that might be Haynes over here with his glasses. In any case, um, all enjoying um, a good show and seeing the tended logo uh, massive in in the, the Grosvenor Hotel. Anyway, this is very good. Congratulations, Leo, uh, as, as a way to introduce the show. Well done for this. Uh, it's very good. Thanks, Gareth. Uh, were, were, were any of you in attendance? Did you manage to get a few people down? Uh, I unfortunately wasn't, um, but some of our team was. Uh, oh, nice. yeah, I'm, I can't even remember where I was. I think I might have actually even been trackside. At oh, the really? Time. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So our team got to go and enjoy the... Uh, the uh, the the awards and the lovely food, but um, yeah, no, I wasn't there unfortunately. Nice, which gives me a chance to actually bring you in and, and say before we get on with the episode, is to say is to say, Leo, thanks so much for joining us. Um, uh, founder of Tended, Leo Scott Smith joins us. Um, so that's an interesting point actually. Firstly, I'll let you introduce yourself, maybe a little, uh, briefly, sort of say it's kind of what what you do, what your background is, and 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 how you created a what is now a, a railway technology company, or or at least partly a railway technology company. Yeah, of course. Um, thanks. So, um, uh, Leo Scott Smith, I'm the founder and CEO at Tended, and uh, Tended is a six-year-old organisation that I found 
um, with really kind of the focus of building really cool technology that will one day be able to save somebody's life. And that's been our kind of core focus. My background before that was actually working in the charity and nonprofit sector. So oh, this kind of really led on to this view of actually I want to, I was helping people in other countries and then I realized the importance of duty of care. And I came in and said, actually, let's do something really cool with technology and let's see how that applies. And um, Network Rail have been one of kind of kind of one of our, our key customers and, and somebody that's adopted uh, our technologies um, uh, kind of quite quite heavily. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk a little bit uh, when we when, later on when we talk about the development cycle. We'll talk about uh, how I suppose there's some. I mean, fortuitous is the wrong word because it was off the back of fatalities, but there was some um, there was some timing that slotted in with with Network Rail needing to do something different about safety, needing to, to talk about massive cultural change to try and get those last fatalities off the board, um, timing with with what you created. So we'll, we'll talk about that later anyway. But um, uh, yeah, no. so, so, so you're, you're on track. How often do you get out on track? Are you, is that partly trialing or just seeing the kit in action? Or is it, what, 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 what gets you out there? Or, or is it, you can't tell us, you'd have to kill us. No, 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 I can happily tell you. I believe that um, my job isn't just spent behind a, a computer screen and um, telling people what to do. The most important and valuable thing that we can do across the whole board for all of our team is really trying to spend as much time with our users as possible because it's all good and well being building a great bit of technology but if we don't actually know how that's going to apply to our users and the benefits and the value it's going to bring to them how can we build a successful product so um, i try to get out on track as much as possible um it couldn't be anywhere from once a week if we're really busy up to at least um, twice every every week i must say i've not got my pts quite yet i'm i'm just relying on uh, tbp I'm just about to, I think it's two weeks from now, um, run through my PTS. Yep. So fingers crossed for that. You'll be doing better than me because my, although maybe it'll change when I, when I join my new company, but my previous company uh, stopped, they, they said, uh, stop doing PTS, just use TVPs if you're not getting out on site frequently enough. And to be fair, as, I get more, as I've got more senior, I've been out less. Um, so you'll be doing better than me if you get your PTS. You'll be on a nice white hat. I've got a, I've got a very shiny blue hat that... Um, obviously is to my eternal shame talking of the people out on site because that's really what it's all about and that's kind of the story of this is that there is no avoiding the fact that the railway this is what i love about the railway is this 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 connection it has to, to the past you still need people to be out on track there are loads of things we can do to reduce particularly for things like inspection and maintenance there are loads of things we can do to reduce boots on ballast but ultimately you still need people out on track whether it's you know me going out and doing a, a survey to do some design, whether it's um, you know, sp- specific maintenance, care, um, asset renewal, whatever it happens to be, people need to be out on, on track. That That is never going to go away. Um, and so those people are exposed um, uh, somewhat. In fact, this video, which I'm about to play, which is going to come up quite a lot more loudly than I expected it to. So I'm, in fact, I'm going to... Uh, that's fine. I shall fix it in post. Um, yeah, there's, there is... A, classic. Uh, there is, in fact... No, I have a slide. I have mixers. I'm going to reduce the volume with this. Um, Right. The thing is, when you're in a train, um, things move very quickly. So whilst you're stood on on track, you cannot basically. I, I've stood next to the track when a train is coming along at 125 miles an hour, and you basically can't hear it until it's on top of you. Like it, it's uh, you'll you'll know this yourself. Having been out on track and stood stood presumably stood next to tra- trains passing, um, potentially stepping off while there's you know if you're working site war and if there's a line block, whatever it is. Um, the trains, you basically don't hear them until they're on top of you, right? Uh, if, particularly if there isn't a horn going off. So an idea of that, of that. this is a, it's 125 mile an hour inside a train cab, and um, things pass pretty quickly. So there's a level crossing coming up, and you're onto it in a few seconds. You know, the, the train, the, the, 
things move actually it's funny in the cab it doesn't feel quite as fast but actually this thing is 125 miles an hour it's on you in seconds um right. so briefly and apologies to to leo who's in fact this is revision for your pts training if you if you're about to take your pts this is revision for it it's <laughs> uh, so the current protection arrangements for track uh for, for track staff for on track staff here is a nice bit of track south of york uh because that was the nearest thing i could find on visiv that was easy um so we have some tracks and um the the, the rule book um and uh, the standard rt3170 which is basically this this document in fact i've got one behind me here where is it here it is my guide to personal track safety i've got a bit of an old one it's a bit this is the one i got when i did my pts years ago um but it's still basically the same it could probably do with updating to include stuff about geofencing anyway i digress um that determined that document says what protection arrangements are so the best working the best way to work is what's called safeguarded which is where the whole railway boundary to boundary is or at least sort of with a wide area of protection um is closed you know there are no trains anywhere anywhere near you and you can work fairly comfortable fairly safety of safely i mean there's still all the standard hazards of slips trips falls live stuff so on and so forth but you can see and also um on track machines and things can move around within a safeguarded environment but you don't have trains coming through 125 miles an hour um fenced is then the next form of uh of protection so you have a physical note physical um barrier protecting the open railway from the closed railway from the railway the area you can work um so the, the green area there um is is the area where you can work and fenced off you can have trains going up to 125 miles an hour in the in the red bit um that's reasonable protection because there's a physical barrier so this comes back to what we're going to talk about is 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 the, some of the psychology the behavioral side of things right leo this is where this is absolutely where you've you your technology steps in is getting in between that behavioral um you know the the what's going on in your head to then what your physical behaviors are the advantage of a physical fence um obviously there's, there's a physical fence there you, you you in theory cannot pass it then you step down into a very common form of protection i've worked a lot under this form of protection site warden warning so the lines are the lines you're working on are closed but you are working next to uh without any physical barrier you are working next to lines that could be open at 125 miles an hour um this requires a person called a site warden and they have to either by touch or by noise stop you from stepping beyond the rail kind of the, of the track that is open so that you don't go into the six foot um, of the open tracks so that you're so that you're clear and safe of passing trains um this is okay so this is safer than having trains passing on the tracks you're working on but you can see why this is everyone watching you can see why this is less safe and again um this is where this is where leo comes in but we'll, we'll talk about that momentarily um the next forms of operation are quite a bit less safe again um there's there's two really there's 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 equipment warning which is where you have equipment uh, that is either permanently mounted trackside or you have um, equipment attached to you know, there might be a kind of um, temporary equipment that you can kind of carry along you clip it onto the tracks and so on so things like um uh train operated warning system taus is kind of the common one and it's kind of fitted all over the place the step down from that is uh lookout warning using either a electronic protection system or worse the old flags the old it's the it's the old bloke with some flags um which is hopeless absolutely hopeless and outdated form of of, of staff protection um, and until very recently we were still doing an awful lot of work under that form of of what we call red zone protection not not good um 
And indeed, we're at the point now. So this is some of the some of the recent history of what's happened is is as a result of several fatal track worker collisions happening under lookout protection. And there, there's a whole. Nick Millington uh, is the chap who was pres- present at PWI, um, uh, among other things. Uh, he was in charge of the safety task force to basically res- respond to this, um, to these, to the, these incidents, right? And, and Leo, I, I suppose that I presume you've had chats. With, in fact, I know you've had chats with Leo because uh, with um, with Nick because he has championed some of the. He has certainly championed your technology, the, the idea of geofencing as a way to to kind of improve safety and and encourage staff to not fall back and rely on yeah so this we'll we'll come to this i'm sure but one of the challenges i suppose with using lookout is that in theory it's easy you don't have to worry about signaler capacity you don't have to worry about the availability of 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 possessions or blockades um that you can piggyback on um you don't have to go out and put fences up so you know it feels easy so the advantage of your technology as we'll get to is that it, it gets rid of some of that feeling of oh it's difficult to you know we just want to go out and do a quick thing um more on that later but we have to talk about what the hell geofencing is um leo i I suppose this really is your is your patch but i suppose i'll start by saying that that people anyone who's ridden one of these tier scooters or the the kind of any of the any of the the higher bikes or scooters within london that that exist will have encountered geofencing right um it's i'd I'd say this is this is this possibly the most widespread use of the technology at the moment in in the uk certainly i think um i would say that it's probably there's some others that, uh, that most people use more on a daily basis. So um, uh, Deliveroo and Uber yes, Eats, okay. yeah. hopefully people aren't using those on a daily basis. But um, any kind <laughs> of form of uh, mapping system probably has geo- geofencing in it. So it could be Google Maps. It could yeah, be, yeah. Um, as you've got an example there, your tier mobility scooters, um, anything that needs to know where you are and give you a, some kind of trigger, whether it be an alert or a warning once you are entering into that zone. So, yeah. um, you know, you've got your your speed on your sat nav that will show you that where you're getting into a certain speed zone that'll be using some form of geo yes which more on that later because as soon as i become the secretary of state for transport uh, i'll be mandating geofencing on all new vehicles uh all new cars that just require a basic driver's license will require uh, geofencing anyway uh yeah so it looks like this on your phone the geofencing you can see the area where you're allowed to in the big red patches there are areas where you can't uh, ride the tier scooter so it stops the scooter from working in areas that are pedestrianized or whatever it is um and so you know for example you could do this with cars for example by you know introducing a 10 mile an hour speed limit within the the the, the inner ring road hmm, that'd be useful anyway i digress this is the bit where you got involved right leo so um so talk about i mean without okay we're gonna talk about the history of, of tended but the technology you've got what does it do so if you have site warden warning what does the technology do to this form of protection yeah, of course. So um, in the simplest form, it is a it's a virtual fence. So yeah. um, what will happen is that you will then create a virtual fence, which will be mapped out based upon um, lines that you uh, are safe to work on. And then if an individual strays over one of those um, boundaries of that virtual fence, which could potentially mean that they're straying onto a live line, it will give them a warning the second that they stray over that boundary. And the kind of really unique part of this technology is that um, it's the accuracy of the positioning. So um, when we were talking earlier about the tier mobility scooters and your smartphone GPS, your standard GPS in your smartphone is generally between two to 10 meters in accuracy. Yeah. Now, as you can imagine with 
railway tracks being six foot apart, you're not going to be in a position where um, a two to 10 metre accuracy is going to be sustainable because it may show that you are in a position of safety when actually you're not at all. You're yeah. working on a line where there's a 125 mile hour train. So um, our technology uses the same technology that you'll find in autonomous vehicles, drones, surveying equipment like the Trimble kits that I'm sure yes. you go out with, Gareth, um, doing different surveys on track. And um, we've condensed that down into something that's small enough and, and low enough power that um, we're able to uh, use it as a, as a mobile device to alert individuals the second they stray out of a position of safety. Yeah. So so as you say, you, we talked about what the physical fence looks like. You're creating a, a virtual fence. So you're creating that virtual fence. And as you say, it doesn't mean that you can call the, I, I believe the certificate, your, your PADS approval certificate. It's not that you're allowed to call it a fence site, but you're providing, you're essentially providing the additional that's that kind of the additional virtual barrier to provide that extra um, extra bit of safety. Uh, and you, you, we were talking before the episode about about the about distractions and about uh, daydream states. I, I think uh, talk briefly about that, that, that the, the sort of the, the psychology that you're tapping into a bit here. Yeah, no, of course. So, I mean, one of the very interesting parts about Tended and I will uh, kind of uh, jump back to our history a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Which, um, we've spent the past six years building safety critical wearables for traditional industries and this isn't just the rail industry it's construction it's manufacturing it's logistics and what you often see is that it's quite hard to get engagement of these new technologies so about two and a half years ago i put a job advert out that basically just said i don't know why i need you but i know i need somebody that understands human brains and it was for a behavioral scientist and we ended up hiring uh, jules who used to uh, be a behavioral safety specialist at hs2 and valve bt um, and she's kind of added this this really interesting part to our business where we don't just look at building really cool technology to help improve safety but we also look at the the, the human factors and the behavioral psychology behind it that leads to these kind of uh, losses of situational awareness so there's kind of three really important points to to factor in when you're considering um trackside work um the first is around an alpha state so generally for every hour you're going to be in a position where there's going to be 10 minutes of daydreaming and it's just something that the human body does so for the people that are watching this show today i'm sure gareth will hate to hear this but for 10 minutes of you watching this you're probably going to be daydreaming oh and more i more i'd imagine for people watching <laughs> they're going to be looking at their phone they're going to be you know reading <laughs> emails whatever it might be um but then you kind of amplify that to people working nights which obviously we're moving towards as we remove like red zone working which yeah. we talked about earlier so we don't impact kind of the delay minutes for passengers um, you end up in this position where actually that daydreaming or the alpha state ends up building and being even more so you could be in a position where over a, a five-hour shift you could have somebody that's distracted for an hour and a half so when you've got your your site wardens or your lookouts that are um, basically ensuring that people are safe and they're staying in a safe position they're in a position where they may also be daydreaming or they might mm. be getting down in the digs and doing a little bit of actual um, on the ground work. And what that means is that they can't keep an eye on all of their team. And if one of their team strays or, or whatever it may be, they could then be in a position of, of unsafety. And you've got a couple of others as well, like cultural norms. Everybody likes to follow the one with the loudest voice. So what that means yeah. is that if you've got one really loud voice in that team and they're going, oh, no, it's fine. Just cross over that line. Um, we do it all the time actually that could then be putting everybody else in risk because one person's got a louder voice than everybody else and then the final one is availability heuristics and that basically looks at um the uh, the idea of uh, if somebody has experienced one thing many times over they're gonna 
kind of get into their comfort zone. So yeah. if, if you've got track workers that for 20 years have never had an incident and they've never seen anybody be hit by a train, then they're going to think that their job is safe. But actually, if you've got a track worker that unfortunately has seen one of these near misses or they've even worse seen a fatality, they'll probably be extra, extra safe. But, you know, fortunately for us, not many people have been in that yeah, scenario. Yeah. But unfortunately for us, it means that lots of people just think that everything that they do on their daily basis is safe. But actually, that's really not the case, um, as we've we've seen and we've discussed through this conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so it's provide that that you know the the ability to create that that fence is is obviously hugely that's hugely valuable it's tapping into that psychology to improve safety to kind of get around some of the the things that, the, the natural things that we all do the, the daydreaming that distraction that loss of attention um the 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 falling into patterns of behavior um very useful um so yeah you get a phys- physical fence is great but you can't put them everywhere uh you know clapham junction here you if you've got a particular area that requires working you cannot it's very difficult to create a fenced worksite through there whether because it takes a million line blocks to actually get to the place you need to be to put the fence up in the first place or whether there's just track in the way you can't actually put the fencing up and there's because there's so much snc everywhere you know so suddenly in a complex area like this actually the geofencing becomes really comes absolutely comes into its own as being really specific really useful for creating specific um uh, work sites very 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 useful um i think there's about to be a video uh which we can uh which we can watch which i think you created for network rail or network rail have created it with you what is geofencing technology and how can it help improve the safety of our track workers for us us, a geofence can provide a virtual barrier around planned safe working limits. The technology detects when someone steps outside of the virtual barrier and alerts the wearer, providing an additional tap on the shoulder if they lose situational awareness. It comprises of two components, a simple dashboard used to set up a geofence zone around planned safe working limits and a device worn by each worker. The device recognises the precise location of the barrier so that each worker can be alerted if they stray too close to the edge of the safe working limits. The geofence barrier is set up during the planning process when agreeing the safe working limits. Network Rail's geospatial data provides precise locations for this step, which is carried out in advance of workers being deployed on track. On site, the safe system of work is implemented by the COS or PIC, and the warning device is used for secondary protection in addition to the site warden. The device is lightweight and designed so that tasks can be carried out unimpeded. It alerts the wearer through sound, light, and vibration alerts. The alert will continue while the worker is outside the virtual barrier and they must return to the geofence safe working limits to reset the device. By harnessing the accuracy of geofencing technology, we can further improve the safety of our track workers' teams. And there you go. Well, I think that explains it uh, rather cleanly for anyone who hasn't quite understood what we're talking about up till now um this i, I quite network rail have loads of good explainer videos like that actually for anyone who doesn't go into the network rail youtube site there's loads of videos like that they explain all sorts of things it's great um here it is we've been talking about it and we haven't had a nice picture of it yet here is and this is hot off the press because i i believe this is a slightly updated version of the kit compared to the pictures that i was sent through it it's uh uh or certainly it's certainly aesthetically slightly uh, slightly updated um 
Yeah, it's quite small. You know, this is the key thing, I suppose. It, it, it can't be a huge lunking great thing because no one will, everyone will hate wearing it. But this is, it, it's small. I've had it, I've had it on my own arm. It was pretty, pretty nifty. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, the, we've, we've spent, oh, um, we started this project <laughs> initially with Network Rail, I think three years ago now. And one of the biggest challenges was getting it to actually be small enough. And we have just got a, a new model that's due to be released ready for CP7. Um, and it's even half the size of that. And the investment that, that is required just to shrink something is millions yeah. of pounds. I, so, I was going to say, um, miniaturizing yeah. is expensive. And it's the sort of thing where you want to get the proof of concept working before you really commit to the... Well, now, now that the, there's, you know, now that the network rail has jumped and this is, you know, being used you can then make that commitment um which is which is a running mm, long term commitments everyone hmm. they have they have useful side effects funny that um so here's the, here's the kit um and here is the here is kind of again hot off the press megan sent these through uh, shout out to megan by the way thanks for thanks for your help megan and getting all these bits and pieces to us for our chat um the this is the latest version of what the tablet kind of uh, kit looks like to to sort of actually set the geofence up like to set the set the work site up um and you can see i think i presume you just basically plot you just plot a nice little sort of polygon um and it allows you to be quite selective and where so you could pick you could run that up the six foot and say well it's you know the 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 the, the splitting point is the six foot uh, and that yeah. and the again you talk about accuracy tier scooters are notoriously inaccurate to the point of irritation when you are on a big main road and it slows you down to like stop pace uh with big vehicles behind you um that can be frustrating um the, but as you say that's two to ten meters accuracy um as anyone using a gps on their phone knows doing anything it's not that it's not hugely accurate whereas this is we're talking about surveying accuracies as you say this is you're tapping into that 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 um the kind of the gps pickup to get that Essentially, what you've done is you've miniaturized the thing that when I do surveys, the team has to sit a thing on there on line, line, line side for like 48 hours to make sure they've got the, the correct GPS fix so that everything's yep. accurate. Um, how you've miniaturized that, we'll never know because that's 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 the USP. <laughs> that's the clever bit. But it is very clever. Yeah. Uh, and and I mean, on the planning thing, there's a, it's, it's fascinating. And it's also a great opportunity for us to demo it to people because you can draw a geofence anywhere. So what we normally do is we'll draw a geofence in a car park when we can't get out on site and we'll just draw it around a car park space. And then yes. you'll just put the, the device over the edge of the, the line in the car park space. And then instantly that device will go off and alert that individual. And it, it almost is mind boggling. And even today, after three years of playing about this technology, it still blows my mind that the accuracy of, of of what you're just able to achieve and yeah, yeah. as well as as well as the process of drawing a geofence manually we've very recently introduced something which um, makes things way easier for our, our our users where all you actually have to do is put in your elr and your mileage and chain um, and then it will automatically generate a geofence zone so you don't even have to draw oh nice that is that's very very useful yeah 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 and yeah so that's very useful because uh, you can just take it straight off the yeah your safe work pack can almost include confirmation that tended has been activated for this for this line this line yeah that very very useful and and yeah so integrating that um you know for the for the planner the site planner to to be able to actually have that process and and, and go through that very very useful yeah site planners do a lot of work and um the more of it can be automated 
uh, or, or at least easier for them, the better. Because if they're having to do lots of manual repeat tasks, that's where they can make mistakes as well. And, you know, um, you know potentially entering in the wrong the wrong work site. So yeah, it's very useful to be able to uh, improve that um, that uh, process as well. Um, and yeah, here's a nice demonstrating picture. We, we were showing, in fact, this is, anyone watching this will recognize this as decidedly uh, European bit of uh, railway. But uh, yeah, you can see sort of where the, 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 the process by which and the concept by which it works. Um, and then it makes a big buzzy noise. You heard the noise in the video. Uh, it makes a buzzy noise. It vibrates. Um, and the light flashes as well. So you can have staff. Generally, to, to be working on site, you, you have to have... You, know, you can't be uh, blind or um, uh, or deaf. But you can, you know... Work sites are noisy. So yeah. having a flashing light and a vibration is really important because actually that noise, it might sound loud um, when you're not got anything else going on but if you've got a tamper next to you or if you've got um some other piece of stone blower going past it's incredibly loud or someone's using the whacker plates then actually the vibration and and the the flashing light really important and it's also quite good to particularly when you look at it from an application of a um a site warden to support their existing work activities if they've got an individual that's 200 meters away they can then see their flashing light going yes. off and it means that they then know that one of their team potentially is in an unsafe position yeah, so yeah really built around not just supporting the individual but also that site warden to to carry out their job yep. you know more yeah, yeah absolutely um and there, there's also some other as ever with this technology there are now of course we don't we don't want you to be this isn't about putting people on the naughty step because they step outside of uh, <laughs> the geofence regularly but it allows you to look at you know if, if if there is particular i suppose with all the data that you get out of it, it allows you to do things like uh, analysis of fatigue and and understand the the health and the well-being of your workforce by actually how that work team they did have an, a, a large number of step out incidents have they been working a lot are they actually fatigued are you can there's there's potential there's a lot of potential useful um uh, out, outputs from this um i suppose which you've been looking at if you've got if you've got jules on board then i suppose jules is quite interested in this stuff right yeah the way we look at it is it's kind of like the strava but for your track workers so um we don't want to provide any kind of data that enables any tracking or um, any areas where it means that teams could be penalized but what we do want to do is enable teams to have um, access to data that allows them to do their job better so a really good example of one of our clients recently was that and this was one of the principal contractors rather than network rail mm. they were having to work very closely up to um, the edge of a safe work boundary so within half a meter uh, because of some vegetation and they mm. were able to go back to network rail and say you look you either need to clear this vegetation so we can work here because we're having to get so close ah. to the boundary or you need to give us um, a full line block so that we have so we can work across both lines so yep. that we're not having to get within a half meter so it's actually allowing people to do their job better but also in a good way actually make a a, a data-driven argument to management or network rail to say actually you know we need better and here's the evidence to show you yeah absolutely and, and one of the things that's important is the ability to you know network rail i, I think as an organization network rail do put their money where their mouth is in terms of safety certainly on 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 a kind of you know okay there are some structural challenges and 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 widespread challenges and, and the structure of the industry sometimes doesn't favor that with contingent workforces and, and so on but it, this provides it, it's very useful to provide that 
um, data, as you say, data driven back up to the teams to push back on on a particular thing and say, no, no, not only are we feeling this is unsafe, you know, and everyone is empowered to stop work. Everyone on the railway is empowered to stop work whenever they feel anything is unsafe or, or could potentially be unsafe. Everyone has is empowered to do that. Um, I know lots of people who work on the railways watch this. Hello, all of you. Just to re, re- just to restate, you have st- all of you have stop work authority in under any circumstance, whether it's in the office on site. Um, in the car park before you're about to go on site, you can all stop work whenever you like and, and should and should exercise that if ever you felt you needed to. This provides some of that data to back that up, potentially in retrospect, if you've just stopped an expensive work, you know, if you've sp- stopped an expensive uh, activity, this provides some data to, to kind of back you up. Yeah, it's really good for that. So there are other things, that, there are other uses. I, I, and, and you can say to me whether you're looking at these or already doing these. In fact, I know you're already doing a couple of them. Um, one of the things you could do is, okay, on track in terms of active trains, but in terms of active OLE, that's something else that, that, that you know, in terms of the, it's not just the lines that are open in terms of the lines open from running trains, but actually it's marking out train the, the lines that are, you know, have live OLE above them or not. Um, it's, it's, it's certainly- yeah, and also, and also ensuring that isolation straps have been, one, placed in the right location, but also, yeah. two, removed at the end of a job as well. Um, so as well as... Um, uh, providing track workers with wearables, we can also um, put uh, tags onto assets. So that could be stop boards, marker boards, it yeah. could be isolation straps, um, so that you know exactly where they are um, across the work site as well. Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, exactly. So uh, expensive kit, kit that can go line side, you can tag that, you can, you can kind of tag uh, that to make sure, I mean, for a variety of reasons. One, so you know it's in the right place. Two, so that you don't leave it there at the end of the shift. Because that's a problem that happens, you know. Uh, I suppose you could put it on on scrap materials that you want to be collected to remind yourself to go and go and pick them up. Um, the other thing is ex- is exclusion zones for 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 kit. So a question I have: so you can set tended sets up the static geofence. Can you yeah. set them up to do proximity? Is that something that they're able to do? So if you have them on a, on like a road rail vehicle, for example. There's a very interesting point on that. Is it's. it's it's very easy for us to do that, um, to create these these um, um, moving exclusion zones around plant. Um, there are some very um, good technology providers on the market that do this already. So um, like ah, okay. um, there's a my zone, um, which clips to the back of a, a hard hat. The challenge that you've got with that, and this links back to our kind of behavioral psychology yeah, yeah. side, is that we want to alert individuals when they definitely are at very high risk. And that is basically ah, their yes. training onto a live line. Now, I don't know whether you've ever used one of those um, uh, exclusion zone pieces of kit, Gareth, on site, but um, they can often be going off all the time. We we have a contact in Network Rail who um, switched off the alerts on one of these devices basically ran to see how long everybody uh, oh sorry how um, many alerts people were receiving and it was over 1200 in an hour mm. um, and if you imagine you want people to 100 this is yeah, if you get that buzz if, if, the, if, if the if the if the geofe- if, if the tended device goes if it's buzzing that needs to be a, oh shit like yeah. get get move <laughs> think about uh, absolutely regain situational awareness and get somewhere safe yeah for sure that yeah. makes sense yeah yeah Otherwise, something called alert fatigue and people then start to ignore the alerts or worse they stop wearing the devices yeah. they're alert time. however you you've you've kind of brought on one very interesting point around plant and um you are getting an absolute exclusive here so um my Ooh. marketing team are probably going to kick me up the backside um unless we get the press release out before before this before the um, fourth yeah that's it but, um, <laughs> 
uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, we were awarded a £1.4 million contract with the European Space Agency. Ooh. And um, that contract is basically to uh, take our existing um, geofencing system and create the next generation of worksite management. So we've coined it as the digital worksite, and um, it is to manage these large and complex possessions. So you know where all you, all of your plant is, you're getting real-time alerts. Um, if plant is straying outside of a safe work zone, you've got 3D positioning if a, if a boom is getting too high near overhead line. Oh, that's, yes, that's very useful. In fact, for a Kirov, so the Kirov in that little circle image there often is used under OLE because they don't, because they want to do some SNC movements without stripping all the OLE back. Um, and yeah, getting a boom too high can obviously cause calamity in that situation. And you have you have lockouts with those at the moment, but the problem is is that they're only locked, they're, they're fixed. So what we can do is we can create different zones for different areas. So they might have some OLE taken down in one area, mm. which means they can raise above that. But the only way of using the existing systems is to reprogram them every time you move between different zones. So we can do all this remotely and within seconds. And the whole kind of vision of this system is that right now you're in a position where you need one machine controller per machine yeah well actually um as well as that being quite a, a challenge for for the industry you talked about contingent labor earlier it, machine controllers are very reliant on contingent labor and um, we can end up in a position where we can um increase the efficiency of machine controllers so you could potentially have you know one machine controller per two or three machines um and they can be um you know uh, carrying out their job more effectively but also this will mean that there's more efficiency around the whole of the industry so there's a huge a huge opportunity in the technology uh you know and, and working you know, uh, you know work and as you say the good thing is you work with staff so you have that you have that relationship you you understand what the staff on site uh you know the the, the various workers on site are what their challenges are um where the opportunities lie that, that's the kind of the key thing and then the other thing is things like you know um uh, trolleys you know the 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 old the the, the, the on-track trolley which um you know just keeping an eye on where this stuff ends up uh ensuring that it has been you know that it is you know if it's within the the work site still and you're you're everyone's packed up and in the car and you've left this thing on track um that's a problem so again opportunities for, for the technology to solve some of these uh these issues so yeah really really powerful and this picture um is an example you've, you've got a a nice little um uh actually this isn't a work site this is a, an engineering supervisor's board so multiple work sites marked off by this thing um uh and again yeah it making sure that it's in the right place really key these boards sometimes go down on the wrong track they sometimes go in the wrong place uh making sure if you i suppose for this situation you just have a little marked rectangle that it needs to be within um yeah, yeah. so just coming in on that um one of the fascinating things about and, and the big opportunities with this technology is that i think it was the last report was maybe 2015 from the RAIB and um, of the serious incidents, which a serious incident is categorised as something that could have led to a fatality. Mm. Um, there was, I think, one third of them were down to marker board or stop board irregularities, yeah. which was 144. So if you imagine that in one year, there was a potential issue where there was there was 144 incidents where there could have been a fatal accident. And it's all because these have been placed in the wrong location. And the reason that happens is because the current process for um, placing mark boards or stop boards, whatever it may be, is you've got your track diagrams, you might have an individual that has never worked in that location before, and they are looking at track diagram, they're going, right, I need to place this on the SW1, um, you know, uh, 170 miles um, on the upline. 
they might be very confused about exactly where that is and then they might end up placing it in the wrong location. Now, our device will give the individual an alert when they get to the position that they need to place that board. Okay, yeah, yeah. That you basically remove the chance of markable irregularities across the board. Yeah, very, very powerful. I, I should I should say, for the audio-only listeners, I'm going to describe what these devices are. It looks like a... Um, how would I describe it? It's like a, it's like a bit like a walkie-talkie looking device. If I was going to describe it for the listener, it's a bit like a walkie-talkie. Uh, it's about the size of your fist, uh, probably about about fist size, but not not yeah. that chunky. It's, it's less chunky than that, um, and it's got an it's got a very it's got what looks like a very expensive but short stubby aerial that sticks out the top. Um, that's that's um, chunkier than you might imagine. Like if, if it was a walkie-talkie, it'd be a lot le- it'd be a lot slimmer because this thing has to be so accurate. Um, it has a slightly chunkier aerial, but the whole thing the whole the size of the whole thing is smaller than a smartphone in terms of height, and it's kind of what an inch and a half. Thick, yeah, maybe yeah. about that, something like that. I think probably a little bit less than that, probably about uh, an inch. Um, it's uh, I'll, I'll, one of the track workers that we were with recently described it as looking like a vape. Now, I don't know what a vape looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, it does look a bit like a vape. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it looks like a savoury vape, uh, olive tapenade <laughs> vape uh, with colour to match. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, I suppose also for, for me at the moment, it kind of looks like a baby monitor. It's relevant yes. for me right now. Kind of looks a bit like a baby monitor, um, which I suppose for some track workers you could say is. No, I'm joking, of course. Um, right. Okay. So, um, it, yeah. So that, that's the kit. Right. Now it's a chance for you to tell. So this kit arrives. We've talked. You've talked a little bit. Little snapshots of the history, but let's talk about the tended story. So you've got this bit of kit. It's clearly been through a development process. It's clearly got a bit of history behind it. Um, I only came across this and, and sort of started jumping up. And I was in the middle of a recording of, of doing one of my walkabout recordings for Rail Live and spotted the geofencing and started doing squeal noises because I was familiar with it through um, through through tier scooters and, and, and kind of its physical applications there. But I, I, I realized that's genius when I saw that it was uh, used for this. But, but clearly that's that was only a year and a half ago or less than that, a year and a bit ago. It's It's been around for longer than that. You've hinted that it's six years. So... August 2017. Tell us what happened in August 2017. Then tell us tell us the story from from that point onwards. Yeah, of course. So we weren't always working on this product. Um, there's been a few kind of um, iterations and pivots in our business to get us to this position. So um, we started out uh, in 2017 actually as a consumer brand. So I talked mm. to you briefly about um, my my background in uh, in working in nonprofit. So mm. I um, was in Nepal during the 2015 earthquakes, which led me to be facing a whole bunch of different dangers. So we had aftershocks, landslides, and we even got ambushed once, but that's definitely a story for probably a, a different <laughs> podcast. Um, and um, I had a responsibility, a duty of care over a team of volunteers. Um, and the process we had was that we would ring them and just check that they're okay. And then I had exactly the same process back at home with my mum saying, don't worry, I'm still safe today. And I kind of went, this is crazy. There must be a better way to digitalize this. And I said, well, actually, I want to build a technology company to do this. Um, And that all kind of kicked off with um, this concept of let's build a wearable device. And it looked like a Fitbit at the time. Mm. And um, that would basically detect if you had had an accident like a a fall or, or a period of no motion. And it would send out for help. This was used by horse riders, sports people, but then we started to be approached by um, large enterprises like Rolls-Royce and Nestle saying, actually, we love this technology, but we want to see how it would work um, in uh, our, our, our kind of larger organisations. 
And this led us through an interesting journey. Then the pandemic came in place and actually, you know, all safety processes were focused on securing against the pandemic. Mm. We ended up building a wearable device that then contributed and supported with that. So it's a social distancing wearable that, again, it used positioning technology, but to position how far two people were away from each other <laughs> and then alert them if they came within that, that kind of two meter distance to support with social distancing and contact tracing and all of this kind of um, stuff that was so important at the time. Uh, and then after that, Network Rail, or during that, I should say, Network Rail approached us and said, we've got this big problem, yeah. track worker loss situation awareness. You know, we've unfortunately had a few fatalities. We've got this budget. We've got, I think it was initially 70 million pounds, and then it moved to being 250 million pounds. And that was led by Nick Millington, as yeah. we spoke about earlier with the safety task force. And they said, we want to build a safety product and a, a wearable product that can improve situational awareness. Um, and that's how it all started. We went through a two year process of trials um, um, research and development and then we finally got to the point where um, we uh, in October 22 we received product approval by Network Rail nice. uh, and they also created a standard around the technology and it's kind of it's escalated and, and, and grown since there um, I should say just on those photos for the, any of those <laughs> yes Keen-eyed individuals. Um, uh, this was a test track with Story Contracting, who are a close partner of ours and help us test new equipment. Um, so uh, whilst we're not wearing full oranges and PPE, um, we are still in a safe position. <laughs> yes, don't. Uh, yes, I, I, I figured by the attire that everyone was that it was a it was a a, a little bit of test track or, or um, training ground. Yeah. Um, and, and so that yeah, so then uh, Megan sent through these pictures of, of of some more recent, you know, the 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 more, most recent chapter in the story. So tell tell us about what's what's going on here. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for everyone in audio only form, this is um, this is a presentation being delivered um, at an event with some nice kind of uh, you know, nice display showing the kit and, and showing the the the, the fence drawing uh, uh, client and, and various bits and pieces. Yeah, what what's what's going on here, Leo? So um, one of the really interesting things that we kind of learned over the period of the last six months of, of deploying our kit, and we're deploying it not only with many of the routes around Network Rail, but also with the, many of the principal contractors. So people like Siemens, Amco, Giffen, Story, who I spoke about earlier, um, was that actually there's there's kind of two parts of this technology. There's one part where the the client, i.e. Network Rail or the principal contractor, owns the technology and then their teams maybe, you know, keep ownership of that piece of kit and they'll use it on a daily basis. But then there's another part which is actually they have much more complex um, work activities. So think about the 80 hour possessions where they're trying to do a mountain of work in a really short space of time on, on a main line to reduce delays to to to, to passengers. And in these situations, they actually want somebody to come in and, and manage a whole service. So uh, about uh, a month and a half ago, we partnered up with RSS Infrastructure, who uh, I'm sure many of you all know um, in the industry. They deliver um, technologies like the ATWS and the um, SATWAS systems that Gareth spoke about earlier, and also the ZKLs um, for the um, um, remote control TCOD systems. Yeah. So they were a perfect partner for us to actually and they to, to represent geofencing because those three technologies i've just talked about are um three standards and then we're the fourth standard within a, a, a kind yeah. of a, a, an umbrella of safety technology standards within network rail so what happens now is they come in and um, rss will support on some of these large possessions to ensure that geofencing is delivered effectively and safely so that teams can focus on the the, the more important matter at hand which is actually delivering on the work that they've committed to in that very short space of time um so so this is just some photos from our recent demo day where we uh, 
run for a demonstration of what we're doing and, and how it works. And then we also give everybody an insight into the, the future of geofencing, which we often like to coin behind the scenes into our clients as we're building the Google Maps, but of the rail industry. Mm, interesting. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, as you say, it, it's interesting. And it, I mean, uh, it's interesting that the timing of your development fell so kind of aligned so well with this, this need for a, a change within within network rail, you know, as you say, Nick Millington leading the safety task force, um, essentially trying to eradicate all red zone working. That was that's that, that was the mission. Um, and in order to do that, they needed new offerings to, to the track teams, to the to the to the kind of the, the, the maintenance teams, the inspection teams, those who look after the railway to justify them getting rid of Redstone. They needed something, they needed an offering. And, and this innovation fund, as you say, that, that, that increased because it was shown to be providing results, um, was part of you, was there. It, and this is what happens when funds are made available for innovation, the, the innovation can happen. Um, mm -hmm. It's it, it's really good to see. So um, talking of which, and I'm going to go into, I'm going to bring us up into kind of open discussion mode in a second. Because there's an interesting point that I think, um, there's a lot of duff technology and duff sort of tech out there. I say tech rather than technology because um, if you have a website, I mean, it's, if if someone has a website, they can call themselves a tech company, right? Like that's that's kind of there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, of that sort of thing floating around. So I'm interested by the the extent to which the railway provides a filter because it's a safe to critical environment. Stuff has to work. It can't you can't do the move fast and break things on a railway rightly so because when you break things you you kill people um so it's it, you know I, I was interested on your thoughts on discussing you know does the railway act as a filter for good and bad or or indeed useful and useless technology you know to what extent does the railway provide that that filter you know it's uh, my perception is yes in the various technology i've seen you know you look at things like the technology that's on the yellow fleet some of that is is world leading inspection technology you know um it, it's 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 impressive stuff you know the railway has always been an innovator there are arguments made that the the that the modern computer actually owes its existence to to the railways because of database management and actually the management of of of, of rolling stock in the US led to a development of computers that kind of you can trace the line through to the technology that we have now so the, the, the innovation is tied to the railways but yeah what, what are your thoughts on, on this in terms of that filter you know of like okay you can come up with all sorts of technology but it, it has to be real it has to have an application it has to work to arrive on the railway what, what do you think so i think you're 100 right i think that from our experience anyway um building a technology product for the rail industry has has been very challenging but once you make that initial breakthrough mm. it's quite a sticky position to be in because the rail industry naturally has a lot of safety processes that they have to run through because as you very rightly said if something goes wrong it has the potential to not just kill a track worker but even more seriously yeah. it has the potential to um, have a, a significant impact on on passengers and you know we've seen some very serious incidents not recently thankfully but um, in the past where um, you've had train derailments and, and um, serious very serious incidents like like that so um, I think that one of the interesting points with around the kind of filter for the good or bad is that you do have to run through a product approval process within network rail before any technology that affects track can can be deployed mm. and that is quite a strenuous process yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a laughing yeah and often 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 people are often unhappy about that process there's a lot of people there's often complaints about it and i suppose that process 
if you got rid of it, a similar one would surface anyway, because the reality is you kind of have, even if you renamed it and, and streamlined bits, you kind of have to do most of the things that are in that process anyway to kind of prove that it, you know, the, that the process is there to kind of catch, you know, what's the reliability, what's the what's the risk of something going wrong, you know, catch all these different issues. Oh, in, yeah. you know, interference, yeah. a good a key thing with a bit of technology on the railway like this is, is it going to interfere with signaling technology? Is it going to interfere with this, with that? that if, you know, anything that's electronic or even electromechanical, you've got to think about EMC and, and, and uh, is it going to have any issues with... So that you know, that's important stuff. It's critical. Um, yeah. yeah it, it was a big learning curve for us, I think. Um, and But uh, it, it, once you've done it and you've gone through that process, you know that you have a system and a product that is um, reliable and can be um, seen as a um, safety critical system. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's challenging, but it, it's it's worth the, I mean, it only took us two and a half years to go through. It's fast, um, which, it is fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast, yeah. I know um, we hear horror stories of some companies that, taken like six or seven years to go through and i think that's improving quite a bit at the moment because we're in a position where um there are some consultancies that are now able to offer this product approval process so we can kind of speed up innovation and i think network rail have taken this initiative because they've realized that it is one of the blockers they have they only have a limited amount of resources internally so if they can open it up they yeah. can hopefully drive more innovation in the industry that, that so, was always the pressure is is that the process actually isn't the issue it's just the fact that the staff the staff <laughs> numbers aren't it's the same for so many things with the network rail they're just resources are stretched so thin that they that the process takes age as it pretty much as with everything everyone's experiencing in britain right now uh the log jam of there just aren't enough people doing the processing to, to whether it's yeah. gp appointments or whatever it happens to be um always a challenge so yeah streamlining that is helpful um the other yeah the other i suppose the, the last question related to that is um this now put it's it's the fact that you've had to go through this process for the rail industry means that you have a what i suppose is considered by others in the who might find use for the technology quite a respectable position if you've gone through that process then the technology is tested i suppose that puts you in a good position in terms of the comfort you can then approach or be approached by other potential um clients right so i think i think as well as in the uk once you've got that product approval process, you've got all the principal contracts to go. Oh, okay, yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's industry standard now. And I always remember back in the, the the days of kind of October, November last year, when we were just trying to break into the market. The first thing that anybody would say is, "Is it product approved?" Yeah. And now that we've got that position, it makes that 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 sale and that that convincing that they should use it so much easier. But the the really interesting thing and the thing that I think we can respect the UK rail industry about quite a lot is that. The rest of the world follows the track of network rail quite closely. Mm. So once the UK has used it and it's got that network rail product approval, breaking into other markets is so much easier because mm. they kind of see it as like the industry standard. Um, so, you know, we're in the process of deploying in um, the Netherlands, in Belgium, Ireland and Canada, and everyone's going, if you've got UK network rail appro approval, yeah. then it's going to be pretty easy for us to get it through. So it's almost like the it's the catalyst. So once you've got that, then you can expand into so much more following that that product approval. Fantastic. And ultimately, you know, the, the the key thing that that we have to remember what it's all about is is ultimately it's it's getting the people out on you know technology like this is powerful because it's making lives it's making people's lives easier and safer who are out on track as we said you cannot eradicate all boots on bars you need people to be out there no matter you know the, the railway will always require people to be out on site and it's technology like this innovation like this that makes their lives 
easier, absolutely easier, because as we talked about, some of those clever things with marker boards, with 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 technology, with some of the the equipment, but also safer and critically. I think I, I'm, I'm, it's going to be interesting to look at some of the overall statistics about. You know, I, I suspect there'll be measured improvements and in, in, in uh, kind of reductions in near misses as a result of this technology. I'm, I'm keen to see it rolled out as much as we, we as, as, as quickly as possible, really. Um, I look forward to when I go out on a work site and uh, everyone has the little um, the little wearable attached to their arms or, or chests. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that moment because I think that it's going to make a major difference in safety. Um, it's fab. Uh, congratulations on a, on a clever bit of kit, Leo. Thank you very much. It's not just me. I, you know, we've got a team of thirty people that are building this. So, um, it, the 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 congratulations really goes out to all of them for all of their hard work and getting us to here. Nice one, right? And so, before we come back to Leo and have a, a quick last chat, um, I must press us on with um, the usual uh, the usual outro plugs. Uh, to everyone listening to this in audio only format, uh, thank you very much. Available in all good podcasting platforms. Um, uh, believe it or not. Uh, also, if I press the right button here uh the the, the usual plugs patreon.com slash gareth uh, to support uh this happening and more we're on our chase for 200 patron supporters uh please do come and join us it only costs a quid you just spend a quid quid a month and you can be a patron supporter and make more of this happen um paypal.me slash gareth dennis for the um uh, loose change and abuse if you don't fancy doing a subscription uh gareth slash discord for the discord server the chat hello everyone in the chat the chat continuing um uh unabated and uh gareth dennis slash merch for the merchandise there's merchandise for this podcast how utterly bizarre um if i go back to our large faces look i'm wearing some of it right now because it's the not a metro sorter on a hoodie why not why not absolutely bonkers um a shout out to yesterday because yesterday was the um the 40th anniversary of the opening of, of, of the selby diversion uh, there we go uh, leo hopefully you have no idea what i'm talking about i really hope that that's the case but for anyone who does know what that means uh significant date that was yesterday so happy birthday colton Jun- uh, colton junction and the rest of the selby diversion Next week, it is uh, episode 187. Why is UK infrastructure so slow and costly to build? Uh, it's also doubling up as a little bit of a news episode, but we will dig into the infrastructure cost thread that went around kind of when I was abroad um, uh, and the, the FT story associated with it. We will unpick that a little bit. It's going to be the first actually live one in ages because I've been doing Pat Lee for so long. Um, uh, so look forward to that, everyone. Oh, now back to Leo. Leo. Thank you so much for joining us um, uh, for a, a very interesting, uh, hopefully insightful for everyone watching uh, Rail Natter. That was that was very interesting. Any any last thoughts? Uh, any, any 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 anything that's uh, bouncing around that you felt like you want to add? You put me on the spot there. No, I mean, first of all, it's been a pleasure, and I I I, I really appreciate the invitation. Um, and I remember um, meeting you back at Rail Live in 2022, and then. Um, a few weeks later, seeing the video of our kit up on <laughs> up on a, a YouTube video, which I think was the first bit of like uh, external publicity that we got. So uh, shout out yeah. to yourself for that. But I think in terms of my last thoughts, it's the rail industry is a, a, a dangerous and a dangerous place. I I've been trackside and stood next to these trains moving at 125 miles an hour, and uh, most importantly, it's that everybody just watches out for their safety, not just for themselves but also for their colleagues as well, because um, you never know what's around the corner, um, and uh, and without everybody looking after each other, there's always that risk. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is kind of why this, yeah, it's why the technology like this is good because it is, it's, it's just adding a, an extra layer. We, we we talk about Swiss cheese theory. A good defense against that is adding extra layers of protection, and this this is a a good extra layer of protection without 
necessarily cause it well in fact it definitely without causing any impact on the ability to do work so it's not adding any comp it's not adding extra physical stuff it's not adding extra physical barriers it's 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 inobtrusive but adds a, a really use a really valuable extra bit of safety leo it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um it only remains for me and leo to sort of bid everyone cheerio cheerio everyone cheerio bye somewhere behind anyway